Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best DMs and GMs on this plane of existence. If you'd like to help support the show, check out my link tree or the show notes for my affiliate links. They're all the way at the bottom, but oftentimes you'll get a little discount if you're going to buy something and you'll help support the show if you do that. Also, I'm releasing my episodes on YouTube now as well. If you'd like to see the video of the interview, see me chatting with my guests in person, you know, if YouTube's more your speed, check that out. It is on the T4C YouTube channel. So check out the episode show notes again or my link tree if you want to see the link to that. And yeah, go subscribe, go tell your friends about it if they're more YouTube people also. Help spread the word. All right, let's jump into this episode's guest intro. Doug Lewandowski's game design career was born out of a Facebook post. His games have been played on some of the biggest actual play stages in the world, but it hasn't gone to his head. Currently, he's at work fulfilling the Kids on Bikes second edition Kickstarter and designing a brand new game called Kids in Capes. Enjoy. I'm Doug Lewandowski. I am by day a high school English teacher uh, and by night a father and grader of high school English papers. And when I can get the free time, I also design role-playing games and occasionally tabletop. But uh, in the past couple of years, I've really shifted over pretty heavily into into role-playing games. Excellent. How did you get your start um, into playing games and, and running games and that sort of thing? I think probably the way a lot of people did in the 90s, which was Boy Scouts had uh, one of the guys in my troop, Andrew, discovered D&D and was like, we need to play this. And so we used to, on hikes or camping trips, we would play D&D, which was just like us saying like, we're going to do this and then we do this. And he was like, well, there's this problem with that. And we were like, oh, but then we do this and then we do this. And he was like, well, that doesn't work. We just sort of played without dice and we just sort of told the story together. And then we dug that enough and he was like, hey, do you want to try it with actual dice? And we were like, yeah, actual dice. And, you know, I made a, a paladin who was like, you know, total wish fulfillment kind of character. Played him for a couple of years until the, you know, the group sort of went their separate ways as like high school got a little bit more complicated. And I got out of it for a little while. And then I was starting to get back into gaming. And I was talking to my friend, Ben, who I've done recently some work with. And he said, you got to play fifth edition. I said, no, D&D is like this complicated because I was playing second ed, right? So yeah. I was like, man, I'm trying to play fiasco. Like I'm I'm trying to play games where like you do stuff and you tell a story. He's like, that's fifth ed. They fixed it. They finally got it. And I was like, fine, Ben, I'll play fifth ed. And I was like, this is great. And yeah, so so got back into it that way and really haven't looked back since then. That's fun that you got your introduction to scouting. I think that's the first on this show that that was someone's intro. I did scouts uh, as well as a youngster. Never got that chance, um, but there were a ton of <laughs> kids playing magic or yep. or other things, you know. Um, so so yeah, it's it's funny how that happens. My current group, we've talked about camping and playing a game up in the woods, you know, by firelight or something. It sounds really fun. Mm -hmm. We'll see if we ever make it work, but you know, yeah. All right. So in the time that you've been playing and running games and that sort of thing, Doug, I'd love to know yeah. what you feel like are some of the the big blunders, mistakes, errors that you found yourself making oh. that oh, people could yeah. learn from, you know, that there's lessons to be had there, you know? Yeah. I actually have a mistake that went so badly that the gaming group fell apart. So when I was getting back into it, 
before I had done too much design to know better, we were doing a Mask of the Red Death campaign, which was one of my favorites growing up. One of the guys in our group in high school discovered it and was like, I got to run this for you. I had had this experience of it being like the first time that I wasn't playing just to win. I was doing things as a character that like my character would do not necessarily optimal, right? And so it was this great experience. And I was like, I want to share this with everybody. Got together a group and, you know, some new players, some people who've been playing for a long time. And I committed, I think, the gravest sin that a GM can commit, which is I had the story and that was it. Like Mm -hmm. I knew what was going to happen next time and the time after that. And I knew what the end game was. I mean, we're, we're eight or nine sessions away from that, but here's how it ends. I've got it. And we were going across the Atlantic on a, a cruise liner and things were, were not going to go well there, right? They got attacked by ghost pirates and there was this whole thing. They defeated it and there was a really boring boss battle. Then one of the guys who was playing had been drinking relatively heavily. And I, I think really the two do not go well together. And either missed or didn't hear when somebody said, so we have like seven days left in this journey or five days left in this journey. Is that it? And I was like, yeah, I mean, we can time jump if you want. There's there's nothing else that I had planned to happen. And he either didn't hear that or didn't understand it and was like, there must be a reason we have five more days here. And went looking for trouble and sank into like player versus player. He wound up, you know, one of the characters who had felt sort of sidelined, I'd given her an artifact. It was actually my wife's first time playing role-playing games. And so I had like given her this artifact that was going to be really important. And this character, you know, stole it from her and then used it and just like basically sank the ship. And I didn't know enough to have like built in mechanics for like putting a dead stop to the story or saying like, Hey guys, this is not the story we want to tell. And, you know, my wife was like, this isn't fun. Like, please, like don't do this. And he was like, I mean, I think it's, you've got a cursed ring. And she was like, yes, but it's fine. I've got it. And so there was like some argument at the table. It just got bad. I think out of the five people playing that game, two people came back the next time to play. And then we were like, yeah, we killed this. So that lack of communication, but also like, you're going here, you're doing this thing because of this reason, rather than just like leaning into it, like, okay, you steal this thing. Now it gets you and I'll pivot and I'll work around it. And there's some, a few sub lessons in there too, if I may, uh, you recognize now that, like you said, you should have put a stop to it. You could have mm-hmm. maybe put some, some better guardrails up previous to that happening. Uh, also, I know a lot of newer GMs feel like I have to say yes to everything they want to do, right? Yep. It's, you know, whatever the players want, I have to adjust. I have to make it work instead of making some boundaries and saying, no, you know what? I can tell this is not going how we want it to go. We're going to stop here, like you right. said. So I noticed in a lot of your work, and, and we'll get to this, but a lot of your work has a, a heavy emphasis on making sure that everyone knows what the expectations are and what the tone mm-hmm. is and you know how the game is going to go. And there's all of those kind of things in place before you roll the first dice so that, that everyone's on the same page. So yeah, yeah, I, I think those are some excellent lessons to be learned. Now for some happier times, what are some of your yeah, favorite yeah. memories of things that have happened in games that you've run or played? Now I'm really excited if I'm GMing and players figure out like a solution that I'm like, uh, <laughs> I guess, yeah, I, I guess that that works, right? 
I've gotten to the point now where even sometimes I'll just give them a puzzle and I'm like, I don't know how they're going to solve this. I, I'm just going to let them twist until they like figure out something that I'm like, yeah, great. That sounds good. Seeing people solve things in unexpected ways is awesome. Every game of fiasco I've ever played is like a peak moment. Just the way that the game pushes you to descend into that just cesspool of chaos at the end, right? Like right. one game where, you know, one of us had a bunch of illegal fireworks in the trunk and another character was like trying to burn down the police station with a giant magnifying glass from an observatory that wound up hitting the trunk. And then they started going off and the police station thought it was a gunfight outside, you know, just like the chaos that ensues, right? Or we were doing a Wild West one where one character was stealing basically everything I owned. I'm on the other side of town, like holding a Bible over my head, screaming at the crowd of people you know, to repent because the end is coming after like a weird conversion experience my character had. So the way that like that becomes just great, ridiculous chaos and the play to lose part of that, I think is something that even in games where I want to hold on to my character, I don't want this character to die. Knowing how to play to lose in a scene, I think is, is just great and was super transformative for me. Another great moment was like the end of a seven year D&D campaign just wrapped it up and brought the story to a wonderful conclusion. It's those storytelling experiences when the unexpected happens or the expected happens in an unexpected way. That's the reason why we all love it so much. I think Um, speaking of unexpected, do you have a time where a player really threw a a spanner in the works threw a wrench in your plans and you had to compensate for it, think quickly on your feet and and make, uh, make something work. And uh, do you have uh, that off the top of your head? I mean, in one Teens in Space game, my friend had his character crash their spaceship into the big bad. And like, I was like, well, there goes act three. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, he got hit by a spaceship. He's He's gone. And so, you know, thinking on my feet and like, okay, well, what's the crisis here? Well, the crisis is, sure, he's a bad guy, but he was holding this planet together in terms of like the criminal network. Now, what do you guys do? Power vacuum kind of thing. Right. They see he's gone and they go immediate like, space anarchy, let's party. I'm lucky with my groups in that most of the time, if somebody really throws me a curveball, we play from like eight to 10. You know, if they throw me a real curveball at nine, I can go, yeah, uh, that's great. We're going to roll with it. I'm not ready to, I need to think about like what the next steps are. So let's just hang out, talk for a little while and then call it early. But running stuff at cons for kids on bikes, a lot of times people surprise me with like the way that they just sort of deftly deal with a situation that I was like, huh, well, that was going to be the, they were going to get away. And then that was going to be the conflict. So cool. Uh, I want you to like this game though. So right. meet his boss. <laughs> um, and that's part of the fun too, right? It's, it's improv, you know, like you said, not saying yes to everything the players say, but like very much yes ending as a GM. Yeah, having only run a handful of con games, I know exactly the phenomena you're describing. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure uh, I will run into that a lot more. But yeah, yeah, that's fun. Uh, okay, so this is kind of a cheating question because you have designed um, many systems yourself and, and with others. But do you have any kind of homebrew rules that you like to bolt on to all of the games you run? Any in particular that you add that you feel like enhance your games, make them more fun, make them more playable, that kind of thing. Anything for like kids on bikes, brooms, teens in space, anything I've homebrewed for that 
is now in the second edition, right? So mm-hmm. that was the the first major one that John and I designed. And so, you know, of course, there are rough edges to be sanded out. So for a while, I was house ruling the powered character because first ed, like those rules are a nightmare, which I can finally say. Uh, <laughs> now that the second ed rules like, are- Now the second ed is out. So, you know, right. uh, before that, I'd be like, <laughs> let's try something different just to make streamline it a little bit. Let's do this instead. I'm not going to tell you I'm play testing this. For D&D, I think it's not exactly homebrew because it comes out of, I think one of the really good things to come out of fourth edition, the skill challenges. I use skill challenges so much that in like our last stars and wishes thing, one of the players was like, we get it, Doug. You like skill challenges. Uh, (laughs) I I know you're not going to stop. I was like, I'm absolutely not. And they were like, but maybe like half as much. And I was like, great, we can do that. It'll be more narrative. Cool. But yeah, bringing skill challenges into fifth edition is something that I love and is like, is a battlefield I'll die on. I'm flabbergasted that they haven't worked it in because it encourages such interesting role playing when people embrace it. And it mechanizes those interactions in ways that aren't just like, okay, well, I'm going to talk to this guy and I'm going to intimidate him. Well, I failed. It's you know, I'm going to talk to this guy and I need information. Okay. How are you going to approach it? I'm going to try to scare him. Great. Intimidate. It works. Great. What are you going to do? Well, as he's getting intimidated, I'm going to try to figure out what he's really scared of. Okay. Insight roll. Ah, you didn't get it. So the way that that mechanizes it, I think is just so smooth and so beautiful that every game of fifth that I run brings that in. Yeah. I feel like it handles a part of the game that isn't really handled well by just role play by just exploration by just Mm -hmm. combat right like you can do stuff in like an initiative order combat style that's similar but it's not quite exactly the same and and to your point it's not exactly the the same like cinematic feel you're going for so yeah right and that's a good example and i think there's so much room for variation and play with it shameless self-promotion i did a six article series for cobalt's blog on Cobalt Press's blog on incorporating skill challenges. So Mm. the basics to really weird stuff like shared skill challenges where the two of you together need to do something while somebody else is trying to do something. So yeah, over the years, I've gotten real weird with it. So (laughs) listeners, I will have to put the link to the in the show notes so you can go check that out while you're listening now or afterward if you want to go see what Doug has to say about that further in depth. And now, a word from How Not to DM sponsors. First up, RPG Match. RPGmatch.org is a site dedicated to helping you get matched up with tabletop role-playing game players who like to play like you do. You can select games you're interested in playing, customize your preferred playstyle, and find dozens of folks to fill up your table. RPGmatch.org. Don't roll the dice on who you play with. Signing up for RPGmatch.org is 100% free. And you can head down to the show notes right now and click on a link which will allow you to add the How Not to DM badge to your profile. That way you can find other fans and listeners of the show and trust them that much more. Check it out. Also, a quick shout out to Episodify, the people who helped me produce this show. If you are looking for someone to help you edit your YouTube content, TikTok content, reels, shorts, podcasts, whatever it might be, Episodify is ready to help you out. 
They have packages for people who need more or less editing hours during each month. And if you buy more, then you can save more on the editing hours you buy. So if you're a content creator who needs a little extra help or you've started making some money and you're ready to take that editing burden off your lap, then check out episodify.com. Last but not least, the holidays are coming up, and if you're trying to shop for that nerd in your life, or that child in your life, or yourself, and you can't decide what to buy them, they want dice. Go to adventuredice.ca. Right now, they're doing pre-orders on their advent calendar dice. So they have 24-day advent calendars, 31-day advent calendars, 8-day advent calendars. These are perfect for whatever winter holiday you celebrate, and each day you'll get a new pretty dice to add to your collection and they're really not too expensive either. This is one of their best selling items. They always sell out of these things. So pre-orders are happening now for shipping very soon before the holiday season. Again, that's adventuredice.ca. And if you use the code HN, the number two DM at checkout, you'll get a little discount for yourself and help support the show at the same time. So get those nerds in your life, some dice that you know they want and happy holidays. Thanks so much for listening to the words from all of those sponsors. The sponsors help keep the show running, keep the lights on. Now, let's jump into Quickfire Chaos. Welcome to Quickfire Chaos! This week on Quickfire Chaos, Doug and I are going to take some random tables and generators online to create a fun superhero scenario to roleplay together. We're choosing superheroes today because Doug is currently working on Kids in Capes, his next installment in his long line of fun, story-driven tabletop roleplaying games. So we're going to click this randomize button. I'm just going to click it until you tell me to stop. We'll read through what we've got. We'll see if there's anything there, and then we'll start building our scenario together. All right, stop. A secret identity publicly exposed by an arch nemesis. That's that's one of the ideas that's given us. An international agency is intervening in post-human emergencies. I'm not sure what post-human means. Um, that's interesting. Uh, I think like meta-human or... Okay, yeah. Sure, if we can interpret it, right? Yeah. And then lastly, the lone survivor of a far-off destroyed planet stranded here on Earth. Classic Superman trope there. I love the first one. There's... Yeah, me too. Capes is a lot about striking that balance as a teen hero between your your secret identity and your your public facing heroness. So yeah. yeah. All right, so let's do that then. I will be playing the person whose identity is exposed, and you get to play the arch nemesis and decide kind of how that works out. As far as like the NPC you're playing, let's do like a super villain generator here, and let's okay. see what we get. We got a list of 20 here. If you want to roll a d20, you bet I do. We'll pick out the whichever one you roll. 11, 1, 1. A vengeful power counterfeiter. So someone who doesn't actually have powers. Is that enough to go off for you? Yeah, I think I got it. All right, I'll let you set the scene. The internet has spoken. I am the submariner, or submariner, I guess. Okay. Um, so some sort of water powers probably grew up on the coast, maybe half some undersea dwelling humanoid race, whatever we want. Um, But yeah, okay, so I'm the Submariner. Somehow you are unmasking me and we'll, uh, we'll play out the scene. Your cello practice has ended. And as you're walking through the halls, you see that the the school newspaper is letting out. Mm. Um, 
Hal, you know, a guy who's in a bunch of your classes, you got a real frenemy relationship with, sticks his head out and says, um, oh, uh, Josh, can I get your, uh, can I get a quote from you? I need to finish up this article about the, the upcoming concert. Can I just interview you real, like, super fast? Uh, yeah, sure. Whatever, Hal. Yeah. All right. Sure. Yeah, come on in. My mom's so I can, coming so I can... soon, though. Yeah. It, super fast. I need, like, three quotes. Um, okay, okay. You go into the the room where they, they work on the paper, and he sort of clicks on the, the reporter, and he says, uh, okay, so how is the... Uh, how's the preparation going? Like, what are the strongest parts of the show? Where are some parts where you're struggling? Um, well, uh, it's been a tough piece because there's a time signature switch uh, in a few places. So we've been practicing that really hard to make sure that it's smooth. Uh, so that's probably one hiccup I could see. Um, but but yeah, yeah, that's you know that's why we're putting in the extra work. Great, great. Uh, and how many other people have figured out that you're the submariner? Uh, and then all of a sudden, like, my face just drops. Um, is anybody else in the room? We're, no, we're nobody alone. else is in the room. Yeah, just you two. Uh, yeah, I'll probably just be absolutely flabbergasted and, and kind of stuttering maybe for a second or two going, uh, uh, I, that, I'm, I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. Where'd you get that information? So no comment? I'm definitely not that. I'm, I'm definitely not him. No, that would be crazy because I'm here with you in school, you know, with, you know, not saving the world. Sure. But I also guarantee that if we were to look at the Submariner's activity tonight uh, for the past two hours, he hasn't been doing it. So. Okay. What? So how did you how did you get your powers? Look, I mean, you could compare every kid in this school's schedule to a hero's schedule and find ones that connect. You know, that we've been talking about this in stats, Hal. Like, that's just, correlation doesn't mean causation. That's, that's just crazy. And maybe I'm probably starting to, like, visibly sweat a little bit. And I start yeah. talking faster and faster and, and trying to, like, make excuses. I mean, if you want me to explain how I figured it out, it, I can't. Uh... I'm a reporter. I seek and report the truth. Um, you're the same height as a submariner. You, as soon as a submariner appeared, uh, so I'm guessing you got your powers about three and a half, four months ago, because that's right around when you quit the water polo team. At this point, I'll probably like stand up and start <laughs> pacing a little bit. And he clicks a, a button on his laptop and you hear the lock to the room click shut. Oh, okay. Um, and he says, and uh, you know, same build. Uh, there was the fight a couple weeks ago where your mask got torn. You have that mole right here. I'll probably uh, instinctively touch it. Like I said, I really only have three questions. Third one, what would you do to keep your secret identity from getting out there? <laughs> Um, I'll probably at this point be getting angry. I don't want to hurt this kid, but I can't afford for my identity to get out. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm kind of like just sitting there in my mind, weighing the options like, 
how bad can I scare him? Or, or can I destroy what he's got? I'm going to say I've got a water bottle in my backpack. I'm going to pull it out and open, unscrew the lid and like bring the water out in front of me in like an orb shape, right? Okay. So um, basically confirming to him that this is the case, but I'm going to like start moving the water over to his laptop right. and, and the recorder like I'm about to fry them, you mm -hmm. know, just to see what he does. He sort of extends his hand and pushes the water back into your bottle. Oh, okay. Anything you can do, I can do just a little bit better. I mean, Josh, that's always been the case. <laughs> okay. Now, now I'm mad. Um, I'm gonna run over, like, or, or walk quickly over to the desk and attempt to grab his laptop and recorder. See if I can do it with physical force. He lets you grab it. I'm gonna get ready to like break it over my knee and tell him, "Give me one good reason why I shouldn't do this, Hal." Because everything's on the cloud, Josh. You think you smash that laptop, my Google Doc goes away? I'm trying to make a deal with you. I can get a new laptop. My dad will buy me one. Ugh. Tell him you broke it. I guess I will, like, stare at the laptop for maybe a second and then, like, toss it toward him. He sort of goes to smoothly catch it and is awkward with it. And he says, so again, what would you do to keep your secret identity from getting out there? Or is it no comment? my torso and maybe like the bottom half of my face is in the light and you just like see my fists shaking with anger and I'll, I'll snarl under my breath what do you want Hal? oh I, I think we could work really well together and scene <laughs> <laughs> I don't want a sidekick Hal <laughs> I work alone uh, <laughs> no, that, was, that was excellent I love it yeah, you were great too. That was a lot of fun. I'm excited for for capes to come out just so I can uh, I can relive this. Yeah, that'll be that'll be a good time. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, capes were taking a, a slightly mechanically lighter approach for sure. But right. one of the things that we ask people to consider, and this is something we've worked into second edition, but thinking about your obligations, right? Like, what is your character responsible for beyond saving the town from the death ray in capes, or like finding a way to turn off the, the generator that's causing the raccoons in the forest to go wild, right? I also have to babysit on Saturday. Uh, I Trust me, I can't get out of that. It's my parents' anniversary, so I've got to mm -hmm. be there. And no, we can't bring my little brother along with us. Like, I love the idea, and, and I love playing around with this sort of balancing act, and I think there's so much good stuff for role-playing there. I mean, I love 5th edition, but doesn't do a good job of giving us motivation. Oh, because the guy at the bar said so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, why am I with these people? Because they were also at the bar when the guy at the bar said so. And giving players ways to, and giving GMs ways to motivate players, I think, and telling players how to play their characters without saying, like, do this, just gets people into it in a way that then makes the storytelling natural because we're humans are storytellers, right? We're, you know, we have centuries of huddling around a campfire, telling each other stories to like pass the time while we're watching for saber tooth tigers. Right. That's, you know, that's still what we want to do. Yeah. Uh, to be a, a fly on the wall or, or a, a passive observer on one of those stories and, and to understand yeah. it, that'd be, yeah. it'd be something else. All right. So, uh, 
we've talked a little bit about some of the systems that you've designed, but Kids on Bikes is the mother of it all, right? The the one that yeah. you started on first that has kind of beget all of these others. So I'd love to know, to kind of hear the story about how Kids on Bikes came to be, where you got the idea from, how you kind of executed on it. This, I think, is like the least surprising origin story of all time. Uh, I was watching Stranger Things, <laughs> and I just started doing some role-playing games and posted on Facebook, who wants to design a Stranger Things role-playing game with me? And John Gilmore, who I'd hung out with at a bunch of conventions and stuff, responded and said, oh, I'm, I'm actually working on a, a board game for it. We're hoping to, to make that happen. I said, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Can I work on it with you? And he said, no. Um, <laughs> that's the short version. The, the real, like, slightly longer version is he was already working on it with other people for something very specific. And so it wasn't like a come on and party kind of thing. He said, yeah. but I'm absolutely down to work on a role-playing game related to it. So we started kicking around ideas. We wrote up probably like a complete draft of the rules, threw basically all of it out and got smoother, more polished, more standard down rules. And that's, I think, what we've been kind of doing ever since, right? 20 years from now, when we get to Kids on Bikes 5th edition, it's just going to be like a note card that people buy for 25 cents, which will be like nothing 20 years from now. Maybe it'll be a dollar. (laughs) And it'll just say like, creepy stuff is happening in your town. Tell a fun story about it. That's it. You know, this is set way back in 2030. Yeah, I mean, we just did a lot of polishing and this is overly complicated. What are we trying to get people to do? And how can we do that in a way that they won't be like looking things up and wait, do I roll this or do I roll that? You know, what do I add together? I have to be under or over for this one. You know, all that stuff. We just sort of get rid of that, get rid of that, get rid of that. Tell the story. Yeah, simplified as much as possible. That makes a lot of sense. You talked a little bit earlier in the show about some of the adjustments you made to the second edition. You recently ran the Kickstarter. It was around this time, actually, last year, and are working on fulfilling the physical stuff for the Kickstarter, which I'm very excited about. Can't wait to get my hands on the book because I love the the paper books. So Me too. Oh, man. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. When designing a new edition, what do you focus on updating and changing? How do you make it distinct from the first version so that it is it is a new game. You know? Yeah. You know, again, was really the focus was on, okay, what were the parts that didn't work? Because we didn't want to change stuff for the sake of changing stuff, right? Right. Having the six stats with the six polyhedral dice, that works. That's the same. Shared control of the powered character, that works. But we looked at the stuff that doesn't work or the stuff that, you know, needed to be expanded. You know, people often say, we want, an adventure to go along with this, right? We want a a sort of pre-generated adventure, which to both John and me, isn't what we wanted people to do with it, right? That's not the, that's not the core of the game, right? The core of the game is people creating things. And so we worked with, uh, well, we sort of hired uh, Sen Fung Lim and Alara Cameron to write a, an introductory adventure. And that sort of teaches people how to play and how to, make their own stuff up. So it's a five part thing, session zero, and then four parts that culminates with opening up this world for you and getting you ready to tell your adventures, gives you loose ends to pursue that you've created, gives you, you know, an understanding of the questioning process that I think is kind of at the core of GMing in, in Kids on Bikes. We also really expanded the, the GM section. There's a lot more in there about like how to run it, how to create monsters for it, 
how like kids without powers can fight monsters, streamline the powered character rules to make that easier, more in line with uh, the kids in capes kind of approach to magic. We got help from Kate Bullock, who's a, I mean, wears many, many, many hats in the gaming industry, but is a pro at integrating storytelling systems into games so that it's not just like, well, here are the mechanics, you know how to tell a story. It's okay, so we've never done this before. Here's how you set this up. Here's how you tell the table what you're excited to talk about. Here's how you tell the table what you really don't want to see because I'm just not cool with X. Here's how you negotiate that in an ongoing way at the table. I think one of my favorite things is the storytelling tools that are are bike themed to sort of make it more natural, right? Yeah. So if if you're telling part of the story and I'm really into it, I say like, oh, yo, pedal harder, pedal harder, pedal harder, which means like, just lean into this, right? Describe that, this door that you're up, you know, that you're facing, describe the way that this is happening, you know, whatever it is that I'm excited about, lean into it. Or, you know, the other side of things like, okay, this is making me a little bit uncomfortable. Let's backpedal a little bit or, you know, just fully hit the brakes, right? Doing those kinds of things to bring people in and let people know how to play. You know, that's, I think, a thing that a lot of role-playing games don't do. They assume that you know how to do improv, and most people don't. You know, most people pick it up over time role-playing if they have a table that supports it and people who are interested in learning that as well. But a lot of times people just, oh, yeah, I hit it with a sword. I'm going to kill it. Yeah. Is it dead? No, I'm going to, okay, let me try to kill it again. It's a very hard thing to to describe, I think. But in reading the the PDF that we got a few months ago, I think that you know, like you said, there's a lot of tools in place and a lot of things that that you have specifically designed for this game to help people. And uh, yeah, most other RPGs, right? You get the book and it's a wall of text, and like you right. said, it, it assumes a lot of things. So it's it's refreshing to have a game that is kind of built with all of that stuff in mind. I think uh, a lot of people are going to like it. Yeah. You release, um, are you releasing Kids on Bikes second edition with Hunter's Entertainment and all of your mm-hmm. other games are kind of releasing with Hunter's Entertainment as well. So how did that partnership with Hunter's Entertainment begin? How did uh, you go about finding them and, and deciding to work with them specifically? Yeah, what is it like working with a, a company that, that helps you publish? During a Gen Con, John ran into Ivan Van Norman, one of the leads at, at Hunter's, and Hey, what are you working on? What are you working on? They expressed interest. It was, uh, you know, a, a good partnership, and we went with it. It just sort of, I think, developed the way a, a lot of them do. We were interested in working with them and their resources, right, to sort of get the word out there. Because originally, John and I were just planning to do uh, a Kickstarter, just the two of us, right? We had, you know, Matthias Benici, who does all of my graphic design whenever I can get him for like all my weird little like PDF things, and we were going to have him. We, well, we, we had him do the, the graphic design for the first edition. And then we were set to just like, hey, you know, if we make, if we make $200, we'll release it. And if we make over $5,000, we'll be able to do like a print on demand thing. And if we do $10,000, we might actually be able to like print some books and have a couple extra to sell. And we were, you know, just expecting it to be like, kind of like a friends and family sort of thing. And they came in and, and really really blew it up. We had some guest writers, right? So we figured we would get the word out that way, but they brought in some, some really big names. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. Uh, having run a Kickstarter with my buddy around the same time, it was so much work 
and ours was a small project, not a whole a whole game, you know. So you did a lot of work up front in in designing the game, but I'm sure mm-hmm. it was nice to have people who knew exactly what to do to kind of take it from there and 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 make it what it what it was. So yeah, yeah, it was it was great. I never want to run a Kickstarter for something where I need to produce a product ever again. Yeah, my God, yeah. that was enough. It is it is a grind. Um, so yeah. people out there thinking about doing a Kickstarter, make sure to ask tons of people for advice before you mm-hmm. jump into it. But also just know you're you're in for a lot of work. All right, so we've talked about a bunch of the different kinds of games you've you've um, written and are working on. We've got kids on bikes, we've got teens in space, we've got kids on brooms. You're working on kids in capes. Mm-hmm. Did you start with a similar system framework and then kind of add stuff on top to make these, or did you start wholesale with each? What's your um, strategy for making sure that each of them has interesting and different flavors? We always start with, I think, two questions. Right? Can this be done with kids on bikes? And if it can, it's not a new game. Kids at camp is not a new game. You just play kids on bikes at a camp. That's an adventure, maybe, uh, or a module. But like kids in brooms, we don't have rules for magic, right? People aren't magic users. That required a, a major variation. Teens in space required big, big, big changes. Kids in capes, also big, big, big changes, right? Then the next question is, what do we need to add to the system or take away from the system to make this work. But the core is the same, right? The the six polyhedral dice stats, that works. And that's sort of like the core kind of at the, at the DNA of it. Uh-huh. Um, and then the second question we ask ourselves is, is there other stuff that already does this really well? And John spent, I think about two years, maybe, maybe a year, year to two, trying to convince me to do kids in capes. And I, I kept saying like, no, man, like there are so many superhero games out there. Like, He's like, but teen superheroes. I was like, John, masks exists. Like, that's a game that you you own it and you run it and you love it. No, like, let's do something else. And then he said, have you seen Stargirl on HBO Max? I said, no, I haven't seen it. He said, you should watch it. It's really good. So I watched the, the first couple episodes and wrote to him and I said, you really want me to do Kids in Capes, don't you? He's like, yes, that's why I wanted you to watch that. Because it's a small town. That's what hasn't been done. The kids in a small town navigating all of that. And, and like some games have a bit of a, that balance between your personal and your, your uh, public. But we really wanted to lean into that. So we realized like, okay, yeah, like there is stuff that there is a space for this, right? That hasn't been done. So that's where we start. You've mentioned this um, before as well. A lot of your systems try to focus more on the narrative aspects of games rather than the crunchy bits. And yeah. you also talked about taking stuff away that, that makes it needlessly you know, confusing or whatever and, and not letting it get in the way of the story. So what are some um, ways that you suggest to people out there who are trying to move more that direction or, or run games that you've designed to you know, increase the game stakes without you know, adding in those stringent mechanical systems or, or, you know, making it focus on hurting and killing things. Getting invested in a story and getting fully involved in a story and those heavily crunchy mechanical systems are like at each other's throat, right? You know, like combat in D&D is fun because you get to do cool stuff, but like combat is not narrative in Dungeons and Dragons because it's, okay, I roll to see if I hit, do I hit? Uh, yes. Okay. Now I'm going to roll to see how much damage I, it's, you know, math, 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 math. And it's not hard math, but it's a lot of work to get to tell the story 
to me, anything we can do to still have that randomness there, to still have that like that risk reward, I'm concerned about failing, or I know I'm doing something that's incredibly risky, that even if I have a, a good story behind it, like the GM won't just narratively say like, yeah, go for it. That I think is like having just enough stuff in there to make it a risk. I mean, it's sort of like these risks could, if you wanted to just like strip everything away, come down to a series of coin flips, right? It could be that easy, right? Something that's pretty easy for you to do, you're going to flip a coin three times. And if it ever comes up heads, boom, and then so on and so forth. So like, you're going to have to flip that coin five times and get tails every single time to make this happen. I think people would push back on that because they would say it wouldn't seem like enough. And so some of it is making systems that seem like they're complicated enough or that in some way reinforce the feeling of it, but that ultimately are just, these are ways to randomize the outcome so that while you get to tell the story you want to tell, you don't have complete control over it because that's not fun either. Some loss of control, I think, is is essential to telling a good story with others. And then the second part of your question was about, you know, getting away from that sort of fighting and killing thing. We tried to do that with the first set of rules and we did it wrong. We made some faulty assumptions about players. So in the first edition, we said, <laughs> hey, just so you know, like every single thing you do that involves like physical violence could kill somebody. Under the assumption, people will be like, oh man, I don't want my character to die. I'm not getting in a fight. Instead, players were like, yeah, my, my character died right away. Uh, why? <laughs> well, what did you do? Well, I, I punched the werewolf. So for the second edition, and this was a, a question Kate asked us when we were starting to work on it, was like, so kids can die in your game, huh? And we were like, well, yeah, uh, yeah. He's like, so just one more time, I'm coming in to help you with like player consent and like some safety stuff in addition to storytelling stuff. So I, I just want to say that one more time. Kids can die in your game. We're like, Yes. And that's non-negotiable in the rules. We're like, well, if tables didn't want, yeah, you're right. It's as, as written, it's non-negotiable in the rules. So for, for the second edition, we worked on for places where you're using violence, whether it's physical, emotional, part of the building that scene and part of setting the stakes there is player agreement. So if in our little session, if it was going to get to physical violence, I would say, okay, what is Josh hoping to gain from, from uppercutting uh, Hal? And then you would explain. And I would say, okay, in order to do that, what's he willing to risk? So if the role goes well, you uppercut him and he holds his jaw, he's stunned for a minute, and he says he's scared of you and he won't reveal your identity. The role doesn't go your way. Maybe you still uppercut him, but somebody walks in as you're hitting him. Or maybe you say, you know what? I want this to be a moment where his his impulsivity really does bad things to him. And whoever yeah. walks in was there when the submariner uppercutted another guy and goes, oh, oh. So I'm down to risk like my secret identity getting out. And then the GM can say like, you know, if, if you set something like absurd, like what I want to accomplish is lifting up the entire school with my pinky. Okay, what are you willing to risk? A hangnail? No. Right. Right. And so it's, it's building that and, and telling that story. And if I want to say like, you know what, let's put it all on the line. I'm willing to risk my character dying. 
I can do it, right? If that's the kind of game I want to play. Most people don't most of the time. Right, especially if they're trying to emulate, exactly. I guess, Stranger Things specifically or anything else in the in the kids on bikes genre, right? Like ET right, right. or, you know, there's there's dozens of examples, but most of the time people aren't dying in those shows or especially kids, like the main characters aren't dying. And so if yeah. that's the story you're going for, then then certainly, you know, that's that's something to consider. But maybe yeah. maybe it is something you want to risk. So yeah. I like that exchange, that uh that trade off, that tit for tat kind of mm-hmm. um, way to look at it. Having designed kids on bikes and a few other systems, they have blown up in a big way. They're known across the globe, and some very big groups have played your games on the biggest stages, right? Dimension yeah. 20 has, has played some kids on bikes. Critical Role has played some kids on bikes for, for specifically, you know, stream content they're doing. What's it like, you know, watching your game get played on a stage like that? And, and you know, did, did you ever in uh, your wildest dreams think it would get to this point? Like when I first started designing games and thought Kickstarter gold rush thing, like my game's going to be in target and everybody's going to play it. That went away really quickly. When, <laughs> yeah. when the first Kickstarter failed, I realized, but with, with kids on bikes, no, I mean, we thought we were going to sell maybe a hundred copies of it, right? Like we thought we were going to have this cool little indie game that was just something we wanted to do. And John and I liked working together and we'd work on some other stuff next. So no, I mean, no, no concept. The day of the Kickstarter, I was going into New York City for a training and it launched while I was in the car on my way there. We were carpooling because with the, and I, so I wasn't driving and checking my phone. <laughs> we went into, I think it was the Holland Tunnel and we were going to New York City and the Kickstarter had just started and we came out of the tunnel and it was funded. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry what right um so no i mean no idea uh i knew the system was good i knew it was i knew it was cool but no like um the the first like oh my god moment was there was a a multi-part actual play that like patrick rothfuss played in oh and that was like what just happened right totally perplexing totally totally weird and this isn't like false modesty like i'm confident bordering on arrogant um and and this was just like a no yeah and then like last year a student at at school like stopped me in the hall and he was like dimension 20 is playing kids on brooms which is a game you made it's like yeah a game that you my former english teacher made yeah (laughs) <laughs> okay um so yeah <laughs> yeah all of a sudden you got some street cred <laughs> right, right right with the nerds anyway <laughs> with the nerds yeah uh, yeah that's yeah. who i want the street cred with yeah no, honestly <laughs> me too me too that's why we're doing yeah. this uh <laughs> <laughs> oh that's that's fun though it must it must be fun well the weirdest thing about it though and this is my wife hates it when i tell the story but uh <laughs> she's not <laughs> here, here we go anyway <laughs> She's not here. Um, and she doesn't listen to these. So we're good. No, she knows I tell this one a lot. Um, I went to, so out at Gen Con, we won the, an any for best family product, right. For kids on bikes, John and I didn't go to the event because we're like, yeah. Okay. Um, cause you were nominated, text, but like, yeah, we were nominated and we're like, mm-hmm, all right, mm-hmm. guys, he's playtesting something. I'm waiting to go get food with him. And like, 
his phone dings and you know like a phone dings you instinctively look at it even if it's not yours like that little eavesdropping and like it was like oh my god guys congratulations and i was like uh no no so i called my wife to tell her woke her up and she was like well that's yeah that, that's really great um it's really great <laughs> so um is that what what does that mean i said well you know we just we won this thing it's really cool hopefully you know it'll, it'll get it out there more and and all that she said cool just remember to the rest of the world this means nothing <laughs> which which i don't know if you've ever seen the walk hard that movie that john oh, c Riley, dewey cox in. story yeah 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 the dewey cox story the riff with the you know after the kickstarter she did something similar the thing where he keeps going to his wife like he's on tour he's got a number one record she's like you should just quit you'll never be nothing so she was like it was sort of that but also like i didn't want that to go to your head like keep it <laughs> keep it grounded but it, it's so true like that's that's what's weird about it right like people at the local game store i go to have kids on bike stuff on the shelf and like don't know who i am and that's fine like i'm i'm super right. happy with that right the first time we walked in and saw like a sign at a game store my wife was like i need to take a picture i was like you do not need to do that because that's weird and i don't want to be that guy and then she made me do it anyway so as <laughs> for posterity right as long as yeah you're not exactly like, yeah 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 <laughs> that's that's incredible it's good to have people who ground you you know keep you yes. uh, keep you focused mm-hmm Wrapping up here, Doug, I'd love to know yeah. what your advice is for folks out there who are running games, thinking about running games, and then also love to hear about your advice for people who are thinking about or are in the middle of designing games and you know, maybe mm -hmm. some advice you'd give them or some encouragement, that kind of thing. So advice for running games, I think the number one thing, and this is more of like an embrace this concept thing, you're telling a story with players. It is not you versus them. The goal is that all of you at the table tell a story that all of you are excited about. And if all of the characters go through a 12 year campaign and go up to like 30th level, great. If they die in the first game and they, that's what they wanted to do. Great. Whatever it is, be clear about what people want out of it and what you want out of it. Cause you're a player too. And everything else. If, if you're focusing on telling a story, telling the story that everybody wants to tell, you will have fun. Good advice. Good advice. Last but not least, what projects do you have coming up that you want to plug? You know, yeah. any any appearances or any streams playing your games? Where can folks find you and and that kind of thing, or or, or purchase yeah. your games? Yeah, uh, you can purchase my games anywhere. Great games are sold. Yeah. So projects that I'm working on right now, two that just wrapped up: Kids on Bike Second Edition, which we've talked about. Uh, also, yeah. Home from Wet Ink Games, which is a uh, surviving the night in a haunted house. Uh, I designed that with Yunsu Kim. Sort of uses some of the DNA from Quiet Year with Avery Adler's permission. Really leans into like the map building and the the horror and the sort of loss of control that people experience in the archetypal haunted house. It has different archetypes that you can work in in terms of like what kind of house it is. Um, we got a bunch of really amazing guest writers to to add cards to the game to to sort of do that. That probably the design I'm most proud of, of, of everything I've ever done. Um, wow. And I'm so excited to see that exist physically. And then in process, kids in capes is the big one that, uh, that I'm working on right now. And we're, we're in play testing 
in November, I'm taking it to two cons to test it out. So I'm excited about that. Which cons? Metatopia in Morrisville, New Jersey, and then Save Against Fear in York, PA. Sounds good. East Coasters, take note. You know, I'm always sort of noodling at other things, but but those are the big ones. Awesome. Well, Doug, thanks so much for taking some time. I know, you know, it's it's quite late for a, a school night. Um, you got yeah. some, some grading and some <laughs> um, lesson prep to do, I'm sure. But yeah. thanks so much for taking time to chat about game design, um, about your specific projects, and uh, about everything else. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Dark. This was a blast. Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. And now for a sneak peek into next week's guest, RPG Match. I still want to meet my TTRPG soulmates, right? I want to meet uh, the crew that, you know, we've got everything in common and it's just this sort of magical synergy at the table. So mm. that's kind of the, the focus is how can we facilitate that sort of community? How can we focus that sort of connection? To hear more about how the idea for the RPG Match app was born and about RPG Match's extensive game running career, tune in next week. If you enjoyed the show and want to support me, there are tons of easy ways like tipping me a few dollars on Kofi or PayPal or by buying things for your own games from my affiliate links. Again, those are located in my link tree. I've got links for dice, minis, tabletop gaming accessories, published content, and even geeky apparel. Last of all, I'm proud to support Diversity Saves, a tabletop role-playing game charity which donates money to diverse up-and-coming creators working on their very first projects. It's a great cause, and I'm really excited to see what awesome stuff people will create. My intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos theme is by Exacat, and the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by my friend Arcane Anthems. And until next time, roll some Nat 20s for me.